right, all right. Happy Labor Day weekend again, everybody. You guys doing good? Awesome. I just got back from Oregon. Any Oregon fans out there? Sweet. And um, I was at the Festival of Tents. And um, big, big field, all these people camping together. And then a, a large circus tent where people are coming together to worship God and get equipped. And I, I got in. And honestly, I was a little disappointed because when you think about just in the middle of the woods in Oregon... In a big tent, you just think everyone's gonna be wearing tie dye, right? And and I get in there, and I there's like some normal looking people, and I said, man, I'm I'm pretty discouraged. And I was expecting a lot more tie dye and a lot more bo. And um, you guys, you guys don't smell bad. And um, it was funny because the next time I got up to speak, uh, there were all these people that were coming through, going like, hey, she has tie dye on, and he has tie dye on. And then, you know, they were, they were trying to prove their hippiness to me. And one guy was like, hey, my daughter slept 20 feet up in a tree in a hammock. I'm like, what in the, in the world? And actually, one girl comes up to me. She goes, hey, look, I got a dreadlock last night. Like a dreadlock last night. And then, and then one guy calls his daughter over and goes, hey, smell her if you think we don't have B.O. <laughs> so anyway, I, I love the diversity in the body of Christ. It was sweet being with this family of churches out there and seeing God just move in their lives. And they called me to come up and speak because they heard what God was doing in San Diego and the different people's lives that were being touched, changed, saved, transformed. So what's going on here in all peoples is, is a witness to people in different states and different places. So way to go, church. So excited. And man, I'm excited about this next week. This is our last Sunday with just two services. So that's going to be great. On your way out, make sure and grab some of these. Ryan and I were traveling and, and just got to hand out numerous ones of these on the plane coming back in. Just people interested, looking for a church where people are real and people are loving. So we're doing a series called Love Your Life. On your way out, you can get these cards. I've yet to have someone turn me down when I just try to hand them an invitation card. It's just passing out party invitations, plain and simple, when we're inviting people to church. If you haven't seen... We have an awesome billboard with this same stuff on state campus. So we're real, real excited about just opening up the doors wide and telling a lot of people, Jesus wants to upgrade your life. He loves you. He's got a great plan for you. Aren't you guys excited about telling people about that? I know I am. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to put one in your hands. Free gift from us. We love giving out the Bible. We're going to be looking at Matthew 28. 18 through 20 today as we finish our DNA series. We've been talking about DNA, the basic building blocks of who we are and of what we're called to be. And Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is a hallmark verse for us that we're going to finish this series with. It says this, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Say, make disciples. disciples. Say it again. Make disciples. disciples. Way to go, church. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. C.B. Bonda found himself in a very 
desperate place. He had immigrated 20 years earlier from the mountains of Durango, Mexico, where his family was living in abject poverty. He had come to a small town in Texas looking for work, looking for a new life. He had found a a job in a candy factory and had worked there faithfully for a number of years until he was hurt on the job lifting boxes and had hernias in his stomach. And unfortunately, the company was fighting him so he wouldn't get disability. In the meantime, his wife, Mika, came down with cancer. She was in excruciating pain and it was causing a tremendous hardship on the family, obviously, as they had six children. We had just moved into the inner city. And every day I'd watch C.B. Bond. I didn't know his name yet, but I'd watch this man in his late 40s, kind of with his head down, just faithfully go on a walk for exercise around the several blocks. He'd pass my house over and over again. And so one day as I was outside in the yard, I, I, I said hi. I stopped him and we struck up a conversation. He was kind of intrigued on why I was there in the inner city and... As we began a dialogue, he started sharing a story of what had transpired with his body. And I could actually see the hernias in his stomach. And at that moment, God just impressed on my heart, you got to pray for him. And so, super awkward, first conversation. Hey, can I pray for you that God would heal you? Jesus walked around in the Bible. He's laying hands on the sick and they'd be made well. I don't know if that'll happen, but I at least want to ask you if that's okay. He said, yeah. And then I thought, oh, now I've got to do the most awkward thing ever with a man that I just met and lay my hands on his belly. And so I'm just kind of like, oh, you know, I hope this is okay. This macho Latino guy. And I'm like, um, hi, you know, and, and I lay my hands on his belly and I'm like, oh Lord, if you've ever shown up, this is the time when I'm massaging this guy's belly, you know, and I pray, you know, and the, the hernias don't go down, you know, so I'm like, CB, uh, did anything happen? And, and he goes, yeah, actually he's, he's explaining, I actually feel something going on in my stomach. I'm like, thank you, God. So that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's trying to show you, God is trying to show you that he loves you. That he has a great plan for your life. And, and he was, you know, taken back. And, and, and I could tell he was touched by it. I said, hey, CB, why don't you and your family come over for dinner uh, next week? And, and, and I, he said, yeah, sure. You know, and I'm his neighbor. And it's, that's pretty common to ask your neighbor over for dinner. I didn't know if he'd come or not. So the whole... Next week, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to show up. And, and sure enough, he comes into our house, and Steph made a great meal for them. She, they had no idea what to do with it. She made like this spinach and artichoke mandarin salad. And he's kind of like, uh, <laughs> not, not a real cultural fit for him. And, but, but it was sweet. They appreciated it. And at the end, I just have this thought pop in my head. I said, hey, CB, because we had, we had talked about God. I said, hey, you know, are you interested in studying the Bible with us? Like, you want to bring your family back? And, and he goes, yeah, I'd like that. He had no religious background. And, and, and he says, yes. Yeah. So I'm like, well, that's really cool. So the next week, every day I'm praying, because I'm like, this would be really sweet if this whole family comes over. I'm thinking, you know, maybe he just said it to be warm. And, and I remember that the, the night that they were supposed to come back over, you know, and I'm just nervous and I'm pacing around the house. You know, it's like my first date or something. And, and I'm like peering through the window to see. And, and you know, 
Sure enough, all of a sudden, one by one, they file out of their house and they're walking over. My heart's pounding. Oh my gosh, this is so incredible. And here's what we did. They walk in, shared another meal. And all we did was we opened the Bible. We had a Spanish Bible. So we opened the Bible and just read one chapter of the Bible and asked three simple questions. Who is God? Who is man? And how does this apply to my life? We just asked those three questions and they read it. There was nothing spectacular. In fact, it was kind of boring, kind of awkward. And after it was over, I was like, well, that'll never happen again. But that was pretty cool. I said, do you want to do this again? Sure. They came back the next week. On the third week, we came to John chapter 3. And if you've read the Bible before, the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We, We came upon this verse. And at that moment, you can see that their eyes are kind of wide and they're going, you know, what's going on? And so I decided, okay, this is the time to step in. And so this is what I did. And I want you to, to, to see this. And if you're taking notes or if you have like a Doodle Buddy app, I want you to, to do this with me because I, I, I want to show you something so simple that illustrates how a person can accept Christ into their life. It's called the bridge diagram. So we read this verse about God giving his son Jesus. And so I drew this diagram to illustrate it. I drew man over here. I know I'm an incredible artist. Man right here. And then God. You can't really draw God. So I just wrote it. God. Well, actually I wrote Dios in Spanish. Right? And, and so I said, so man's here and God is here. And I said, now here's a question for you guys. Have you ever done anything wrong? Now, inevitably, everyone says yes. You know, have you ever cheated? Have you ever lied? Have you ever thought a bad thought? Yes. Well, then that is called sin. And so I said, that makes man dirty. So I just take a little brown marker and make him dirty. Now, I'll ask this question. Now, God, has he ever done anything wrong? No. So does God have sin in his life? No. So God is perfect. Now, here's the problem, and I'm explaining this to CB and his family. If man wants to get to God, anything he tries, any of his attempts, because he's dirty, anything he touches is dirty. And it can't get in the presence of a clean God. The Bible says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So any of our attempts fall short. So the Bible goes on to say this, that the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die for our sin and to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Now, here's the deal. Do you think God wants that for his children? No. The Bible says that God so loved the world. So God didn't want his children to die in their sin. And so the Bible says that God made a bridge. So I draw this bridge. You know, I'll probably explain. There's like this big chasm between us that no man can get across. And so God makes a bridge. And then I'll draw this. So I drew this for CB and his family. I said, what is that right here? What is it? A what? And I'll always say this. So what happened on the cross? Jesus died. Exactly. Almost everyone in the world can say that. So I'll draw Jesus on the cross. This is where my artistic skills get really good. 
There's Jesus. You always got to put long hair on him and a beard. Okay. Jesus died on the cross. Now, why did Jesus die on the cross? For our sins. And most people get that. So I said, Jesus died on the cross. And the Bible says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus paid the debt for our sins. He took our sins on the cross. And the Bible says he himself bore our sins on the cross so that we could die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds, by his death, we are healed. We are cleansed. So then I went and asked CB and his family. So, how do you get to God? You get to God through Jesus. Jesus paid the price. Jesus is a bridge. So let me ask you, are you here separated from God? Are you here in the middle of the journey? Are you here over in relationship with God? Well, they point to here. They point to this side. They said, well, we're right here. By now, my heart is pounding. I'm like, oh, this is good. Right here. So at that moment, we broke up and said, okay, well, men, let's go, let's go to a, one room in the house. Women, let's stay in the other room. I go into that room and I say, CB, you know, you just heard how Jesus can forgive your sins. It's CB, his two sons and his son-in-law. His son-in-law and his daughter live with him. Actually, they weren't married and they had a child. So they're in the room with us. And I said, CB. All you have to do to receive this gift of salvation is ask Jesus to come in your life and forgive you of your sins. Do you want this? And he's like, I do. Absolutely. Looked at his sons, you know, and and I'm going, oh my goodness, this is so cool. I look at his sons. Hey, your dad can't make this decision for you. Junior, do you want this? Yeah, I, I do. David, your dad can't make this decision for you. Do you want this? I do. Leon. Your father-in-law can't make this decision for you. Do you want this? I do. In that moment, we grabbed hands and all four of those men prayed and gave their lives to Jesus. Oh, it was so absolutely exciting to see my neighbors cross from death, spiritual death to spiritual life. And so what happened from there? What happened from there is I knew this scripture. And so I said, let's start meeting together, CB. And it was really obvious how we'd do that. He'd walk every afternoon. So I said, once a week, let me just join you on your walk. And on that walk, I just began to invest in him. I taught him how to pray. I taught him a super simple model of prayer. Just adore. Uh, tell God what you love about him. Confess. Share with him your sins. Thanksgiving. Tell him what you're thankful for. Seek. Ask God for help. Hey, your wife's sick. Ask him for help. Hey, you need money. Ask him for help. So he's just learning to pray. Then I taught him how to read the Bible. Then I said, CB, I don't think God just saved you just for you. I think he wants you to be a light for your whole family. I remember going to one party after we got to know him. We go to this one party. There are 200 people in the room. And I'm like, this is amazing. CB, now which ones are your family members? And he went, they're all my family. Like, dude, you have a bigger family than I do. I have like five of us. That was amazing to me. I said, so CB, all your families around you, they love you. Don't you think God has raised you up to impact your whole family? He started getting it. We started a life group in his house, just meeting, studying the Bible, praying together, eating together. In the next three months, 15 members of CB's family came to Christ. It was straight out of the Bible where it says he and his whole household got saved. Everyone that would step in his house came to Christ. 
It was mind-boggling. And you know what I want to say? Well, how did this happen? How did this amazing thing happen? How, how, did, how did actually God use me and, and my wife to see this happen? Let me tell you how it didn't happen. It didn't happen because we're pastors. That's not why it happened, because CB never thought of us as pastors. We were just his neighbors. They, we never took them into the church during this, this journey. It was always in their home or in my home. To, to CB, I was just Rob. You know, I was just, just normal neighbor across the street. It didn't happen because of my higher education degrees, what I learned in seminary, because I didn't go to seminary. I wanted to go to seminary, but God stopped me on my tracks. I'm not against seminary, but God stopped me on my tracks and said, I want to train you through the local church. And so I, it's not because I went to some school to learn this crazy methodology. Thirdly, it's not because of my oratory skills. It's not because I'm this great communicator, because all of this that happened that transpired was in Spanish. And I speak on a first grade level in Spanish. So it wasn't because I'm this great communicator. I was like, see, no, you know, and Taco Bell, you know, that's what I was saying. Why did it happen? Well, let me go back to another story of what transpired my life, my junior year in college. I, I had two, what seemed to be chance meetings with two guys named Mark that would leave an indelible impression on me and alter the course of my life. It was an ordinary day. I'm coming home in the middle of a semester. I bound up the stairs into my apartment. I'm just an, an average college student lost in campus life and the social scene and sports and activities. I bound up the stairs. I walk into my apartment. None of my roommates are there, but there's this big, looming six foot eight ex college basketball player just sitting on my couch. I walk in and he's like, What's up? I'm going, No, you tell me what's up. What are you doing in my apartment? He introduces himself as Mark. And I say, you know, hey, uh, why are you here? He knew one of my roommates. He had been at a, a, a Christian summer camp with one of my roommates. And he said, I just got back from Russia telling thousands of people one-on-one about Jesus. I'm going, well, that's really interesting. And he looks at me and he goes, so Robert, what is the one thing you can't do in heaven? Okay, this is the beginning of our conversation. In my apartment, never seen this guy before, no one else is there, and he goes, so Robert, what's the one thing you can't do in heaven? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just a college student. And, and he goes, well, it's not worship, because you can worship forever in heaven. He goes, it's not fellowship, because you'll be there with all your Christian brothers and sisters and fellowshipping forever. It's not prayer, because you'll be talking to Jesus face to face. What is it? I'm like, you got me. He goes, you can't share the gospel in heaven. You can't share the gospel in heaven because there are no people that don't know Jesus in heaven. There are no lost people in heaven. It's the one thing you can't do in heaven. Now, later on, I found out he actually has a book called The One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. I wish I knew about Google back then. So then he says this, Robert, so do you share Jesus with everyone you meet? And I was like... No, I mean, come on, man, step off, you know? And he's like, why? He goes, why don't people share Jesus? Why don't Christians share Jesus with everyone around? I said, well, I, I think probably we're afraid of being shut down. And he said, well, listen to this. He, he quotes this scripture. He just knew these scriptures right off the top of his head. He says, Matthew 5, 10 through 12, blessed are those 
who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great's your reward in heaven. He said, you know what happens, Robert? If you tell someone about Jesus and they turn around and persecute you, you get a reward. You get a, a payment from heaven. You get blessed. You're blessed if you're persecuted. It's almost like we should be, hey, do you know about Jesus? No. Hey, hit me again. There's more reward. You know, you know, he said, you're rewarded when that happens. So I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. I guess I haven't seen it that way. He goes, so what are the two things that can happen if you share with people about Jesus? And I'm like, uh, he just jumps in back, back right in. He doesn't leave me any time to answer. He goes, the first thing is that people come to Christ. People come to Christ when we share about Jesus. And what does the Bible say? He, he quotes the proverb, he who wins souls is wise. You know, heaven sees you as wise when you're sharing the good news about Jesus. He said, but what's the other thing that can happen when you share the gospel? He said, nothing. People don't respond. People don't accept it. And what does the Bible say? Listen to this verse that he shared with me out of Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then... Can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. He says, God calls you beautiful when you're sharing. It's not your responsibility to lead people to the Lord. It's just your responsibility to share. So he looks at me and he says, so listen, you're blessed when you share and people come to Christ. You're blessed when you share and nothing happens. You're even blessed when you share and people are upset and they persecute you and revile you and say all kinds of evil about you. And he says, so what's the one way you won't be blessed, Robert? And that one he just left in the air. Long, pregnant pause. And I'm like, I guess if I don't share. It's like, exactly. And then he starts telling me, about how many people are dying a day without coming to Christ. And it was, I, I don't know if you played football before, but I used to be a quarterback, and the worst thing ever is when a middle linebacker breaks past your line and just lays you out. I felt like I got laid out by the Holy Spirit. Right there, just a Holy Spirit tackle. Wow. I wanted to show you 30 seconds of this guy who showed up in my apartment, just a 30-second clip, so you understand what was happening to me that day. Let's, let's play that. Okay, uh, young people, uh, sit up nice and straight in your seats for me, please. Nice and straight. Sit up nice and straight for me, please. Thank you. All right, when I'm speaking tonight, um, no talking, please. Uh, if you do, I'll say something to you. I'm a little bit crazy. Um, but I'm very... I'm a lot of fun. You can spend time with me, but I'm real serious. And here's one of the reasons. I'm very serious, okay? Every second, two people die, okay? Okay? By the time you put your head on your pillow tonight, 150,000 people are going to die and go off in eternity, heaven or hell as we speak. And I got a very simple question for you. EV Free National Conference, very simple question for you. Do you care, okay? That's good. I got a nice guy, huh? Okay, I mean, at least they have like 2,000 people to hide behind. I'm getting this sermon preached at my face by myself in my apartment. You know, here, here's what I've learned. You know, sometimes God leads us by a gentle, kind whisper. 
And sometimes he sends a six foot eight, super intimidating basketball player to get in our face and to totally stop us in our tracks. And, you know, that changed my life forever. And, and I, I realized that day, I want to be blessed. And, and I want to care about people who are headed for a Christless eternity. But here was my problem. I didn't know how to do it. I, I didn't know what to do. And, and so I, I had in my heart this desire to have a mentor. I was like, I need someone to teach me how to walk out this faith. Because this is what I knew as an athlete is I could only go so far without a coach. I knew I needed a spiritual coach. So I started going from one place to another, one ministry to another, and asking people to disciple me. And it was crazy. I'd talk to people and they'd say, well, we don't really do that here. Or we just make young people get in programs. Or we just ask people to do details and, and, and administration. We don't do discipleship. And, and, you know, I don't really want to do that. And I started feeling like the discipleship reject. Like, man, this is in the Bible, but why doesn't anyone want to meet with me? Well, at the same time, my college roommate had this older guy that started investing in him. His name was Mark. Let me tell you about meeting him. I come home one day from school. This is the same semester. My apartment's empty except this guy Named Mark, another guy named Mark. Now, this guy was a little different. He was sitting there, he had these real long legs, and he had these khaki pants that were too short. And so he's sitting on my desk, sitting at, in, the, in the couch. His, his legs, he had them up, and these long white socks, okay? And, and he had this big wedge haircut, like no hair here, and then up here. And I, I'm like, who is this guy? And, and he said, hey, I'm on, I'm on campus to... Uh, to see revival among the fraternities and sororities. And, you know, judgmental punk heart. I'm like, good luck with that, Mr. White Sox. And, and, and then I started watching him disciple my college roommate. He came over early and taught him how to have FaceTime, how to spend time with God. All of a sudden, he'd call him for accountability. My roommate started getting free from sin. He started spending time with Jesus. He started being raised up as a leader. And I am watching his life just take a J-curve. And I'm getting a lot of holy jealousy of what's going on in his life. So I finally asked this, Mark, Mark, would you meet with me? He says, yeah, I'll consider it. Meet me next week in the student union building of your university. So I go and meet with him. I sit down. There's, the place is crawling with students. And he goes, Robert, I have a question for you. Who was the student body president of this school last year? Man, I, I, I don't know. He goes, tell me one thing that that person did. I said, well, I don't even know who it is. So how could I know one thing he did? He said, interesting, because arguably people would say that that was the most influential person on this campus. But you can't tell me one thing they did. You can't even tell me their name. He goes, you know, Jesus saw the world differently. His goal wasn't to be in institutions of power and to have some high and lofty title. He said, Jesus understood that transformation came from the heart. And so what he did is he lived his life with a few simple, ordinary men, some, some fishermen from the backwoods. And he lived his life among them, and he spent his time with them. So they started understanding who he is, what his mission was, and started getting that in their life. And then he taught them to invest it in other people. In a couple generations, Robert, the Bible says that they were turning the world upside down. And it started the largest people movement in history. He said, here's what I believe, Robert. If you will invest your life in, in that couple of guys and live your life among them and, and train them to live lives like Jesus 
and teach them to invest in others. He said, you're already a junior. You probably only have one year left. But if you'll do this and teach them to reproduce their life in others, you'll have a never-ending legacy on this campus. And, you know, my desire in life was to make an impact. So I said, I'm in. If that's the way of Jesus. He said, I'll invest in you, Robert. Mark said, I'll invest in you. But you, you have to commit to invest in other people. So my senior year in college, I changed everything. I went from just being this crazy social extroverted guy on campus and just coasting through college to as a senior, I started investing in a few freshmen. My friends thought I was weird. Why are you always hanging out with these little squirrely freshmen? But I invested in them and started taking younger guys under my wings and they started being transformed. Tell you one of the guys, his name was Drew. And here's the interesting thing about Drew. Drew grew up in one of the most famous churches in America. If I said it, you'd know it. But Drew didn't know how to share Jesus with people, just like I didn't know. Let me tell you how Mark taught me how to share Jesus with people. This is a funny story. We go to Applebee's, and we're sitting at Applebee's. Our, our waitress comes up to us and just asks the normal question for some young guys. She goes, hey, do you guys want a beer? And Mark looks at her and goes, huh, actually, do you have any kegs? I'm like, what is he saying? He goes, yeah, like, do you have a keg that you could like just drop on my table and put the nozzle right in my mouth? And I'm like, awkward. And, and then he says this, he goes, just kidding. We're Christians. We love Jesus. I'm like, oh, fingers on the chalkboard. Cringe. Worst intro ever. And he goes, actually, how can we pray for you? And, and, and all of a sudden she, she looks at him and I'm thinking she is going to think Christians are the biggest idiots on the earth. And she goes, um, my, my mother's sick. And um, yeah, I really need prayer. And she starts pouring out her life to Mark. Mark tells her about Jesus right at the table and prays for her right at the table. My jaw has fallen to my knees. And I realized that day that if he could use an intro like that and touch people's heart, that certainly I could talk to people about Jesus. Thank you. I, I'm like, I might be awkward, but nothing can be that awkward. You know, you know why she responded? It, it wasn't because of how skillful he was. It wasn't because of how much he knew. These are all things that the enemy tries to put in our minds. She just saw that he cared. She just saw that he cared about her life. She was in need and she needed to know someone had hope to offer. And so I started doing that. I just realized, you know, I can tell people that, that, that God loves them and that I love Jesus and ask them how to pray for them. And so I'm in line with a, a young guy named Drew. And, and, and we go up to the counter at Wendy's. And, you know, I, I walk up to this girl, her name's Chantel. And I say, hey, Chantel, real quick, my friend and I love Jesus. How can we pray for you? And she just starts pouring out her life and asking us to pray. And, and we go and sit down and get our food. And Drew looks at me and goes, I have never seen anybody talk to someone about Jesus in public. And I'm like, Drew, you grew up, your dad was one of the pastors of one of the most known churches in America, and you've never seen that. You know, I, I want to say that our churches don't have 
the power of the New Testament on them because we're not living out what Jesus commanded us in the New Testament, which is very simple. It's just go and make disciples. Can I get an amen? It's just about living life and doing the Christian life in front of other people. And so then I started talking to Drew about, Drew, who do you want to reach out to? And he started talking about this this crazy guy in his dorm that lived next to him that was into Nietzsche and all these Buddhist philosophers. And I'm like, good luck with that guy. And so he brings a guy into our life group. And this guy gets absolutely transformed, and he's sitting on the front row. He's our executive pastor of this church. You you, you see, there's a power of life-on-life investment and discipleship. And you never know who's going to be transformed and used mightily of God. So I I just want to spend my last couple minutes now. Let me just tell you, I'm just going to give you a little teaser, but it's on our app. If you don't have our app, I want to encourage you to get it, the All People's Church app uh, in the app store. It's also for Android. Also on our website, we have these resources that just walk you through making disciples. And we also have literature out in the back, but we just do three simple things in discipleship. And here they are real quick. The first one is this. Okay, and, and we just made this so simple. These come from the life of Jesus. Number one, the first thing that Jesus was having his disciples do, let me draw some eyes right here. He taught them to look up. Say, look up. Look up. And so the first thing, when I started discipling Kendall, the first thing I did was I just showed him how to spend time with God. I went over and said, hey, let's just have a little FaceTime together where you learn to pray, you learn to study the Bible, you learn to actually have an authentic relationship with God. That's my main goal. It's not for me to pour all my head knowledge into them. It's to connect them with the person of Jesus Christ. He transformed my life. I know if I can get them in front of him, he'll transform theirs. Number two, look out. Say, look out. Look out. Actually, let's do it this way. Let's change that. Number two, look in. Okay. Can you do that with your eyes? Look in. It just means this. Jesus talked through the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. He's saying it's about your heart and it's about living out this Christian life. That was a total revolutionary concept in antiquity because the, 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 the Gnostics and the, and the different spiritual people in, in the Greek world thought it was all about the spiritual world and what we did with our bodies, what we felt in our heart didn't matter. Sounds like a lot of Christians in America, actually. Hey, as long as I believe a certain thing, I can do anything with my body, I'm forgiven. And Jesus said, no, that's not it at all. It's about actually being transformed from the inside out. And so what we do in discipleship is we talk about our struggles. I disciple, guys, I tell them what I'm struggling with. I'm open with my life. It's a culture of vulnerability and honesty. We talked about that last week. What does that do? That lets them know it's not about being perfect. It's about being real and letting God transform you from the inside out. So we talk about, we do accountability with our staff. This past week, we broke up into pairs and said, share what's going on. The men on our staff are talking about and being really real with, here are our struggles. That's what this church is about. This church isn't about perfect people. This church is about imperfect people getting before the living God and Him transforming us and making us more like Jesus. And so that's what look in is all about. Look in. 
So when I'm discipling someone, I'm meeting with them, I'm helping them move forward and meeting with Jesus. I'm talking about our issues and how we're, how we're being transformed. And the last one is look out. So here we go. Look out. Here's some eyes looking out. Whee! You were never supposed to just receive. You're not supposed to just come to church, get a good word from a pastor, get a few worship songs and say, now I'm filled up and I'm going to go back and just live my life. No, that's called a pond. A pond has water come in. It, nothing goes out. And what happens? It gets stagnant gets that gross, mucky stuff on top. And I want to say that there are a lot of gross, mucky Christians out there because we don't let the life of God flow out of us. I want to be that mountain stream where the water's just flowing down into my little Ozarka bottle. And that's what you want to be, an arrowhead stream, you know? That's, that's what God's called us to be. And so what is that? That's discipling people and saying, hey, who are you reaching out to? Who's at your school that doesn't know Jesus? Who's in your life? Who in your family should you be praying for? Who can you disciple? Who's a younger Christian? You know, I want to tell you, some of you have been a Christian a week or two in this place because every week people come to Christ. But I want to tell you, there's people that have only been a Christian a day and you have stuff to give to them. There's always someone younger in the faith than you. Who is qualified to make disciples in this room? Every person. Every person in this room. So I'm just teaching people how to look for people that they can invest in. And the Bible says this. I pray that you'd be active in sharing your faith so that you would know every good thing you have in Christ. If you feel stagnant in your faith, I want to ask you, are you making disciples? Because when you start meeting with someone, starting taking ownership for their life, praying for them, trying to help them, trying to give them some scripture to move them forward, trying to help them navigate their life as a believer, all of a sudden you start realizing what God has done for you, and he starts speaking to you for him, for them, because he loves them. And all of a sudden, your faith comes alive. If you feel dead in your faith, if you feel a little stalled out, I encourage you to start investing in someone. I encourage you to start sharing the gospel and see if you don't feel on fire for Jesus. There's nothing more exciting than seeing someone's life transformed and that God used little old you to do it. Oh, it'll transform your life. Let me finish it this way. One of my disappointments in life was not having a brother. Everyone can say, oh, I have awesome sisters. I have twin sisters. They're seven years younger than me. But I never had a brother. And I'd watch my friends with their brothers go out and play football or be on the soccer team together. I remember going to school and being the firstborn and being like, oh, it'd be so cool if I had a big brother, like walk me through campus and be like, hey, don't mess with me. That's my big brother. You know, and. Or, or have a little brother to just go hiking with and fishing with and all these things. I didn't have a brother. But I realized when God started walking me into discipleship, all of a sudden I had all these brothers. All these little brothers. And I had big brothers who were investing in me. And, and this heart's desire I'd had for these relationships. Why I wanted a brother is because typically brothers don't leave you. Friends might leave. Right? But, you know, people say, oh, blood's thicker than water. You know, whatever that means. That your brother stays with you. And true relationships in the body of Christ, there's an agape love. That means an unconditional love that so supersedes just our little affections of what we like. Or It's an enduring, a deep relationship where we actually care for each other and cover each other and advocate for each other and push each other on towards Jesus. I want to tell you, through the years, I've felt like the richest man on earth. Is I, I've had dozens 
of little brothers. And I've had a couple of amazing older brothers pouring into my life. And I, I want you, church, to experience that depth of relationship. So let's just finish this way. Would you close your eyes with me? I, I, I never want to lead a church that says, here's the word only. I, I want to be doers. And so I want you to ask the question right now. Ask this question right now. Who is someone younger in the faith that I could invest my life in? You might say, man, I've never been discipled. You know what? That's okay. Because we have, we have the tools that are going to allow you to pour into others. Who is someone right now, just who is someone at your workplace, in your school, in this church, in your life group, that you can just go up to and say, hey, do you want to start meeting together? We'll study the Bible and I'll be praying for you. And, and maybe you can then start investing in someone else. Who is someone? And I want you, as soon as someone's name or face pops in your mind, just write it down or type it into your phone. I also want you to ask the question, who's someone who could invest in me? Maybe some of you have already had someone invest in you, and, and you don't need that for right now because you've already had a season of that. But some of you have never had anyone invest in you, and you realize, I need a coach. And I want you to, I want to encourage you to ask someone. And, and, and they might say, no, that might not be what God's leading them, but at least you've been obedient to do your part. Write that down. And once you've done that, let's go ahead and stand up. Why don't we pray? Father, I love that when Jesus came to earth, it wasn't the smoke and light show. It wasn't the huge dignitary summit. Instead, you were walking along the side of the lake, calling some ordinary men to yourself. And, 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 and we can't do the big summit. Most of us are afraid of speaking in front of thousands of people. But all of us can take one person and love on them and help them move a little forward in their faith. And so I thank you for the call to discipleship. And Lord, I'm praying with all my heart this morning that we'll be, we'd be a disciple-making church. That we'd be a people who love people so much that we'd lay our lives down for them and take ownership and say, I'll pray for you. I'll meet with you. I'll invest my time in you. I'll believe with you to be all that you're called to be. We ask for that in Jesus' name.